Good morning, Shepherd of the Valley. I'm excited to be with you. Welcome. If you're live with us in person or if you're online with us now or watching at a later time, we are grateful that you have started this new year with us. My name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor around here, and I get to kick off today our sermon series that is for right now, but also a theme for the year. If you've been around Shepherd a couple years, each year we pull a theme and we follow that thread all the way through the scriptures. And this year, we're exploring this thread of life as Jesus meant it to be. That uh, we wanna take a look at the teachings of Jesus. We wanna look at the rhythms of his grace and what it looks like for him as he instructs us on life and allow our lives to match that and see from the scriptures what that looks like. So we've been using this passage all throughout the service today, it's going to be our theme passage for this mini-series. Today's title is No Other Way, that there is no other way. You'll hear that phrase a lot in today's sermon. You'll see it in the scriptures. And believe me, I've tried like all the other ways, and none of them have worked out well for me. And I've experienced that in Jesus, in his way, in his life pattern, like he wants to give us life. This is what it says in Matthew. And I'm using the uh, Eugene Peterson's The Message paraphrase. He wrote this as a series of articles for his congregation. And uh, people liked it so much, they ended up making a whole translation of the Bible using it. Can you imagine how many news articles it would take to do the whole Bible? So his way of writing it in modern language, he said this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that statement where he makes this promise. He says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting. You know, as we start a new year, uh, some of us might feel like we're just sliding in through the end of 2023, just barely making it. Anyone with me? Like anyone feel heavy or ill-fitting in life? That life has a lot of things for us that are heavy and ill-fitting. And the, the image that uh, we're seeing in the scripture here is one of a yoke between uh, two oxen. And that this yoke that Jesus is forming for us is not heavy or ill-fitting. It's designed just for us. You see, my belief is that God actually designed the human being to constantly gain life through our relationship with the Father. You see it actually at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2. There's a tree in the garden, and it's called the tree of life, the tree of life. And it's an image of our daily need to be fueled and engaged with the one who created us. There is literally a place in us designed to be in constant communication with God. When, the, when God creates humanity, he says, let us make man in our own image, in our own likeness. Let us make them. Male and female, we will make them. And then God forms out of the dust of the earth uh, 
ha-adamah, where we get the word Adam, it means earth creature, creature of earth. And what God does then is he breathes life into Adamah, earth creature, who doesn't find fullness until actually a side is taken, and now male and female are both represented, and they, they are called the image of God. When the image of God is, is uh, set free in the world, it's designed to do two things. One, for us, this image is structural. You and I are created to be like God. Now, we're not created to be like God in the uh, you know, all-knowing, all-powerful, uh, everywhere at once, though we may try that, and it, that way it does not work. We are created to be like God structurally in our character, who we are. That actually what we're designed for is love, is connection, is grace and truth. In fact, actually the deepest human need above our need even for like food, water, all that thing, is human connection. That we see even in children who are denied that, that they fail to thrive and won't even survive. That we are designed to be in loving connection. This is the structural part of that. But the second part of, of being made in the image of God is that all of you, all of us, were designed to be representatives of God on earth. That that's actually what the, the image is in ancient Near Eastern culture. That when they would make an image or an idol, it would be of their God, whatever God they worshipped. And they would form it out of earth or out of wood or out of stone. And then the last step of that process is they would leave it out overnight. And their God would come and breathe into it. And then that would be the image or representation of that God wherever they went. And so they'd take these little idols, these statues, sometimes big, sometimes little as representations, as images of that God, except for our God. He doesn't need statues. Why? Because we are the image of God. Wherever we go, we are designed relationally to represent God, to walk around full of his grace and truth, and to um, be his uh, like ruler, his vice regent, his, his authority um, to bring his grace to the world. Now, we all know that, the, that that is the Pollyanna, like that's the way it should be, but things aren't the way they should be. And even in the earliest articulations of the Hebrew like prayers and commands, there's this idea that we have fallen from this connection with God and that we need to reestablish it. In one of the most famous Hebrew prayers, it's called the Shema, it talks about our design. It says this in Deuteronomy chapter six. It says, love the Lord your God. It starts out, by the way, it starts out before this. It says, hear, O Israel, hear, listen, the Lord your God is one. And then it goes on to instruct us. And it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, those words are really important. In fact, it doesn't, in, in Genesis one and two, he doesn't become a soul. The word in the Bible is nephesh until God breathes into this earth creature, Adam. The thing that sets him apart from all other creatures is this authority of being a human being, of being a soul, of being breathed into in this certain way, this certain place in us that's designed to be connected with God. In every Hebrew phrase, there's actually word pictures. They use word pictures all the time. And so I did my best to create like what this picture might look like. It looks kind of like a target. Um, being a hunter, I love targets. Um, they help me hone in. 
Um, in this word picture, you have this specific, specific target that love the Lord your God with all your heart. In the Hebrew, that, that word is lev or heart, inner, innermost being. All of your unseen parts, your innermost part. Love the Lord your God with that. And then love your, the Lord your God with all your soul, the whole being, all of you. And then love the Lord your God with all your me'od, which is your, your strength. Give me a, mm, come on, mm. all your me'od. You guys are all Hebrew scholars now. But the idea is what's on the outside, what's seen and what's unseen, the whole of you. Like you don't have a soul. You are a soul. And that's an important distinction. Because uh, for us, we tend to break those apart and fragment them. Jesus actually quotes this when he's asked which is the greatest of all the commands in the Hebrew Bible. They're testing him. They're trying to get him to trip up and you know, say a wrong answer. And Jesus quotes this prayer, the Shema. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And then he goes on in Mark chapter 12, and he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now wait, did Jesus just change it? Well, not exactly. What happens here is that now we're having Greek language, and so the Greek language uses some different words. And so a Greek thought versus Hebrew thought. And then he says, the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And I love how Matthew captures this last line. He writes it a little bit different. He says, all the law and prophets hang on these two commands. This idea that everything that is in the Hebrew scripture, all the instructions, the Torah, all the 613 commands that are in there, depending on how you number them, they all hang on these two ideas. Love God with your whole self and love your neighbor as yourself. And th this idea is out of the connectedness that we are supposed to have with God. If we were to use modern language, and you've seen me use this before, in fact, throughout this series, we're going to be pulling on some threads that we've taught over the past few years and giving them some teeth, giving them some wheels, show us how they work. It, it, we, in our modern language, think that you're a body, you're a mind, you're a spirit. And I've taught that we all that is your soul. But we live in this way where we think those are separate. See, what God offers us is integration, an integrated life. But what we often live in is disintegration. That we somehow think that our body doesn't affect our mind or our mind doesn't affect our body or our spirit and we treat them separately. Or maybe disintegration looks like for us choosing other ways rather than Jesus' way. And they, we find they're dead ends or they're just tiring. They're just wearing us out. Even as Jesus frames it, that religion can wear us out because it's designed to be relationship. And you and I are designed to be fueled by that connection with the living God who breathes into us and continues to do so. Now, I have a little test for us. I need, um, I need a, a couple volunteers. Anyone want to volunteer for me? I promise it will not be embarrassing It'll actually be fun, and you get a treat. Anyone like bananas? Come on. Someone's got to help me. All right, come on up here. Come on. What's your name? Me? Yep. Oh, Sheldon. Sheldon. Great. I need one more. All right, come on up. There you go. And is that Jack? Yeah. All right, come on up, Jack. All right. I got Sheldon and Jack. 
Now, this is a test for all of you, not just for Sheldon and Jack. What are they holding in their hands? No, you're wrong. You're like, wait, that's a banana. No, actually, they're holding something different. We think it's a banana, right? We, by the way, we have not talked before this moment, have we? This is not a trick. I'm not going to reveal my tricks as a magician. All right. What are they holding in their hand? One more time. A banana peel. A banana peel. Why? Now you're like, wait, but that's a banana. You just hold on with me. Now, I might be tricking them. They might, that might not actually be a banana. There might just be something else inside. I think you should open the banana. You should open it and make sure that it is truly. Now, what do you have, Sheldon, in yours? A banana. A banana. And Jack, what do you have in yours? A banana. A banana. Can we give these guys a hand? All right. You guys can have a seat. Enjoy your bananas. So we can see that I'm not tricking anyone that truly it was a banana. Now you're like, Jeremy, this is the dumbest example I have ever seen. You're right. It's an absolutely ridiculous example. Why is it so ridiculous? Because it's obvious that inside the banana peel is going to be a banana. You want to know why? Because everything that God creates represents on the outside what is actually on the inside, and that's called integrity. But what you and I create is frequently through choosing other ways or being disintegrated, we pretend to be something on the outside that is not the same on the inside. And that is disintegration. Or as Jesus talks about, he talks about hypocrisy. Now, we can use that phrase as like a put down, a pejorative. Uh, But Jesus, when he's using it, he's using it as an invitation to realize that we are disintegrated. We are not sourcing love and grace out of the place in us designed to be brought to life by the Holy Spirit, but we're trying other ways, and for good reason. I mean, there are times when, like, I don't want to put out what's on the inside because I'm afraid because I don't feel safe. Can I get an amen? That there are times, actually, even in the church, that it has not been safe, and I'm telling you, church, our call People, our call is to be the safest people, to be the safest community, to be the safest place so that people, exactly how they are, can come and experience reintegration through the life-giving relationship of Jesus Christ. That is the call of every Christian. Now, we are absolutely gonna make mistakes. We are absolutely at times going to fall on face, our face, and we're going to hurt each other from time to time, for sure. That's part of the human condition. But it is this life-giving integration work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, bringing us back into alignment with the way of Jesus that, that pulls us and makes us into the safest community on earth. That's what we're called to be. Jesus articulates that his way is a way of reintegration, that he is one with integrity. He talks about, he talks about it, Paul talks about it, all the pastors talk about it. I wanna show you a few examples. In John 14, verse six, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a really bold statement. The context of this statement is that Jesus is having his last 
like meal, his last conversation with his best friends, and he's doing his last teaching, and uh, he, he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and when I do that, I'll come back and take you to be with me where I am. And uh, Thomas, I, Thomas gets a bad rap. Do you know, well, you know what they call him? Doubting Thomas? That's messed up. I like to call him Honest Thomas, because he just says what everyone else is thinking. He's like, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? To which Jesus says, I'm the way. I'm the truth and I'm the life. I mean, those are bold statements. And they're very exclusive statements. He's saying that that I am the way. He's not saying I am a way. I am the way, the truth, the life. Now, here's the thing. While it's a very exclusive statement, Jesus is the most inclusive person Every person is invited. Every person is invited to draw life from the one who gives life. It is the most inclusive invitation. Everyone gets to come to the party. But it is the way, the truth, the life. And then there's people in the Bible who are absolutely transformed by being pulled onto the way. Peter, who like, Throughout the first like, part of the Gospels, every, every time he opens his mouth, he puts in his foot. Like, I, re- I resonate with Peter. I'm like, I love Peter because I feel like I'm frequently putting open mouth, insert foot. Anyone with me? Yeah. So, but Peter, when he is transformed by the Holy Spirit, he and John are out worshiping. Jesus has already ascended. They're going to the temple to worship, and there's a beggar, and that beggar is just expecting some change, and Peter reaches down, grabs him, and says, silver and gold I don't have, but in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. Talk about boldness, and it says that his ankles were strengthened, and that this man was leaping, running, and praising God, and he, guess what happened with the religious people? He got in trouble. Can you imagine that? That's, uh, that's a bummer. So they bring Peter in before the the religious leaders and they begin to question him and he challenges them. And he says this, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. That's a quote from the prophecies. And then he goes on, he says, it is, uh, salvation is found in no one else For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus in the way. Now, (laughs) I'm a language nerd and one of my favorite words in all of the Bible is right here, unschooled. You wanna know why? This is super nerdy of me. You will recognize the word. I'm going to say it in Greek, but you will immediately recognize what it means. Ready? When uh, the courage of Peter and John, realizing that they were idiotes. <laughs> I love it. They're idiots. Like, that's, that's pretty amazing. Like, that these ordinary people like you and me that they can be pulled into the way of Jesus and that they can, through their very touch, be healing. I mean, that is, that is beautiful. Jesus says it this way when he talks about life. He says in John 10, he says, 
The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and life to the full. Now, in this room, how many of you have been on a way that would steal, kill, and destroy in your life? We've all experienced it. That we only need to turn on the TV to see that life is full of ways that steal, kill, and destroy. That there are things out there, that there are ways of being out there that pull life out of us. But Jesus' way has invited us to have super abundant life, overflowing life. The life that is contagious. And that's the kind of life I want to have. In fact, what Jesus is doing is he's offering us a way of reintegration. God designed us to be integrated, to have integrity. We live in a way of disintegration that pulls us apart. But Jesus offers us a life of reintegration. And it's his work in us that makes it possible. This is the most amazing thing for me about God as a whole, is that he is kind enough and humble enough to come down here, take on all the brokenness of the world, take on all the sin of the world, defeat it, and then offer us, use us in the life of reintegration, to use us to be the very people that get to communicate that grace wherever we go. And that's a lot of trust that he has in us. When it's talking about this life of reintegration, there's this book called Hebrews. And the whole book is like how Jesus is better than everything else, everything we've thought of before. He's better than the angels. He's better than the law. He's better than everything. And it starts out this way. It starts out like in the former days, God spoke to us through the word of the prophets. But now in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation representation of his being. All the shininess of the shiny, all the best about God the Father is in the Son, and it is tangible for us to experience and to see and to know. And then it says, this is where it blows my mind, it says, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Like Jesus is sustaining all things by his powerful word. That, that's important. Because we know that words have power, don't we? We talked about here a few months ago that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me is the biggest lie anyone's ever told a kid. Because words hurt, don't they? In fact, I bet you all of us, if we think about our life, there's words that have hooked us and come back again and again, maybe labels, things people have said to us or about us. But those words pale in power compared to the one who sustains all things by his word. And do you know what his word about you is? Do you know? His word about you is love. That you are mine. His word about you, Jesus' word about you is he likes you. He doesn't just love you because he has to. He likes you in the mess that you're in right now. In whether you're failing at whatever, he likes you and loves you and calls you his own. That is the sustaining power of that word and his way. And he wants it for all of us. In fact, Paul takes it a step further. 
Paul shows just how powerful this is. He's talking about life and death, and he says in Romans 6, he says, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. That that resurrection life, like Jesus rose from the dead, that doesn't have to wait till we die, actually. That resurrection life starts now. He takes the dead places in us and breathes life into us. And he uses us moment by moment by moment, even when we don't feel like it, even when we're skating in at the end of 2023 and trying to make 2024 better and we feel like we're a mess, or even when we feel like we're on the top of the world, that actually it is his powerful word that sustains us and he is offering us a resurrection life that is reconnected to that center of our being that was designed for him, by him, and for uh, to use us in this world. I was thinking about in my life where I've kind of experienced this transforming way of Jesus. And I, I've told you before about how I became a real follower of Jesus. I had a friend, Tim, and Tim um, invited me into his office one day, and um, he challenged me. He said, Jeremy, you are full of a word that I cannot say in church. And he said, but, and this is what changed my life. He said, but, I want to know the real you, and I want to be your friend. And that was like 25 years ago. He's one of my best friends today. But it's the first time I understood what grace was. That someone could see through the veneer, the hypocrisy, the, the way I try to protect myself and actually ascribe unsurpassable worth to the person inside and invite that person to come out. Come out, come out, wherever you are. In fact, that's what Adam is doing, or that's what God is doing with Adam in the garden when he says, where are you, Adam? See, did God need to know where Adam was hiding? No, Adam needed to know where Adam was hiding. So I go on and I become, Tim invites me to become his youth intern. That's how I got started in ministry, youth intern, just like Gabby, except for I was a really bad youth intern. I was terrible. I'm, I'm surprised I didn't get fired. But you know, partway through, like Tim was like, hey, you have some of this trauma in your life. You like, we need to, we need to get you some therapy, man. And uh, you know what he did? He said, I'm actually going to pay for you to go to therapy. He paid for my first eight sessions of therapy with a Christian therapist. And two years later, I'm I was still going and I'm sitting with my therapist, Sean. And I said this, I said, Sean, all, it feels like for the last two years, all we've been doing is pulling out my messed up wiring. When is God going to start rewiring me? And Sean like gets this look in his eye and he leans in as only a therapist can do. I'm married to one. I know and he says this, he says, who's to say that God hasn't been rewiring you this whole time? And it was like the blinders were lifted. That this way of Jesus actually had been changing me. That actually I had felt loved and connected. And that actually that had begun to leak out into my relationships with my mom and with my friends. That it is truly the only way that brings life. So I ask us again, 
Are you tired? Are you worn out? Have you tried all the other ways? Because there is a way. And really there is a one who will walk you on that way. You aren't doing it yourself. And we, we need to take Jesus seriously when he makes the invitation. Because it wasn't just for them then, it's for us here and now. So what I'd like to do to close is I'm gonna go back to this passage. I'm gonna use a different translation. And I'd like you, if you're willing, to close your eyes, consider closing your eyes, maybe finding your feet on the ground and maybe your hands open on your lap. Just be mindful of your breathing. We're gonna use this as a prayer. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Take a deep breath in, breathe in grace. Breathe out whatever burden or yoke that you've had on your life. Maybe it's the words or phrases of another that have made a yoke for you. The words of the song, lay down your burdens, lay down your shame. All you who are broken, lift up your face. Wanderer, come home because you're not too far. Lay down your hurt, lay down your heart and come as you are. Now imagine Jesus taking that yoke off your shoulders, the ill-fitting yoke, the one that rubs you wrong and chafes you. And he shoulders up next to you, placing his yoke, a team yoke on you. His burden is easy and light. And his words to you once more. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Gracious God, we thank you for your yoke. We thank you that you are the only way and that you invite us from every other way to come and experience real life. Lord, we pray that you would use your grace and truth in our hearts. Make us fully alive and then use that for our neighbors and friends. Help us to love like you love and serve like you serve in this world so that they might experience your life too. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name.